That's awesome. Go ahead and be seated uh, uh, this morning. And uh, wow, I tell you what, there's there's so much. You can go ahead and pull the lights up and just go ahead and release the bridge and the children. Uh, there's so much that happens um, in worship. There's so much that can happen to your life right in the middle of just releasing yourself to worship God. I've heard so many testimonies of people being healed, people being set free, people being saved, people being transformed, just their ears open to hear the Holy Spirit in a fresh way, just as we press in. And the Bible says, if you will draw near to him, he will draw close to you. The problem is never him. He's actually waiting at your doorstep. But you know who else is waiting at your doorstep? The enemy to quiet you down and to, and, and to, and to push you away. But guess what? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. And as we press forward and we uh, follow the Lord, uh, I just want to encourage you. Let's... let's uh, Take advantage of these worship times for what, they're re- what they really are. It's releasing the voice and the praise of God on earth. It's causing something to shift in the atmosphere. And as we really begin to understand that, it, it not only transforms us, but it also is doing something into the communities in which we live. Because he told Abraham, he says, wherever your feet go, I'm going to give that to you. And he wants us to understand that authority and take that authority and, and release it wherever we go. Amen? And it's just fun. I just think it's great to worship God. I mean, this is what, what, what better thing can we stop to do, right? Honestly, it's just amazing. Wow. Praise God. Well, thank you, worship team. We're going to just continue on where we've been uh, going through the book of Ephesians, trying to walk through it, and uh, we uh, are in chapter 5, and you should have some notes. Um, We're in chapter 5, and I want to encourage you this morning to uh, just to have ears to hear. We started out a couple weeks ago, and we talked about the power of marriage and how in the beginning of chapter 5, he talks about the uh, importance of us being filled with the Spirit. If we're filled with the Spirit, then uh, we uh, are more likely to have the mind of Christ. We're more likely to have our identity secured in Christ and who we are in Christ and not in people. And since we're talking about relationships and and relationships with people, and in particular, but it's for all relationships, we're talking about relationships with people and with each other in marriage. He's saying, listen, if you go into your marriage expecting to get your identity from your spouse, then you're going to be greatly disappointed because our identity should be in Christ alone, right? There's some unbelief in the room, I can tell. Or maybe just a lack of listening for just a moment here. Let's make that transition right now. We're headed for the Bible, okay? We're headed for the Bible. We have ears to hear. Uh, our identity can only be in Christ. Honestly. It just it, And when I get that, then I quit trying to drain other people 
Okay, I drain other people when I try to get my identity and my acceptance and who I am from them. Because I, they can't give that to me. They can give me a portion of life. We realize that because the Bible talks about having good friends and the right friends and all of that. And, and how we can care for one another and build up one another and strengthen one another and lay hands on one another. We can do all those things for each other. But what we can't do is give each other their identity. But then sometimes, and, and we've all known people where, you know, when you're, when you're done being with them, you just feel drained because they were draining you. And, and, and they were trying to get something from you that only Christ can give them. And so Paul talks about that before he steps into this whole aspect of marriage. And as we went through uh, last week, and if you were not here, if you can, if you can try to get the, the message online and uh, listen to it, it would be good. We talked about uh, wives submitting to their husbands. And it's always been almost set in a negative tone. And, and, and one of those subjects where who, who wants to talk about that, you know, uh, and, and, and it's been abused and used wrongly and so forth. But as you have your identity in Christ and you realize that, that and you understand the importance and the value of just taking God's word for what it says and then applying it to your life. And in this case, he's using it particularly as we stated last week. Uh, he talks about this, wives submitting to their husbands. That's a good thing. And then he also, uh, we went on and, 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 and we're now today going to head into the uh, latter part of that verse and talk about the husbands now, because he doesn't stop with the wives. Matter of fact, he says more to the husbands over these next several verses than he did to the wives for some reason. I haven't figured it out yet. Okay. <clears throat> But when you read the Bible, you, it's good for you to read it two ways. Uh, one way, how does it apply to my life personally and naturally? In other words, how do I apply this to everyday life and relationships in this case and, and, and just everyday use? But the other side of it is that I would be able to apply it spiritually or see it spiritually. What is God saying through this? And we know by what we've already read over the last couple of weeks that when it comes to marriage, he compares it to Christ and his church. In other words, how he relates to and wants to relate to his people, his church. And so we see it. So I have to be able to see that also. I have to be able to understand that also that, so that I can take the greater meaning because sometimes it will be the, the greater meaning that gets me through rather than just the practical. Like we stated last week in marriage, the wife has to submit to her husband as if, as if it's unto the Lord, as the scripture says. So sometimes she'll have to look through her husband who's doing it all wrong and making it very hard hard to submit to. And, 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 and she has to look beyond that and see Christ behind him because that's who she's submitting to him as unto the Lord. And as she does that the right way, then God honors it and will begin actually to change her husband. More women should have said, amen. You just don't believe in miracles. I know that. But you know what I'm saying? But that's what he says. He says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on your behalf if you will just trust me and do what I say. Be obedient to the word. And see, oftentimes we give up too soon. But you see, we see both sides of this thing that he's talking about here. I think this, the more I've been researching this, the more I'm realizing, wow, 
marriage. Man, it's important for me to grasp some of this and get a hold of it and begin to see beyond the natural so that I can fulfill the natural because I understand and see it in the spiritual. And I hope that makes sense to you. I want to just jump into this, and what I'd like to do is just to read through uh, the, the verses that right now pertain that we're going to just glance at this morning and trust that uh, revelation will come. Um, before I do, though, um, there's a verse in Proverbs that I was reminded of that I want to read, and I, it, it must apply because I felt like the Holy Spirit say, just read it. Just read it to them. Uh, just read it to maybe the men. But the scripture applies to everybody. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30. Uh, It says, I went by the field of the slothful man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well, I looked on it, and then I received instructions. Here's what, here's what it is. This guy's walking down the road. He comes to a house, and he looks over, and he sees the fence is all broken down, and he sees the yards filled with weeds and all of these other things, and the grass is probably overgrown, and, 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 and he stops, and he looks at that, and then it goes on to say, and when he took time to stop and look at it, all of a sudden it says, now he received instructions. Now, for us, when it comes to our marriage and our marriage relationships, I, I think he's saying this morning, if, if guys, if we'll stop and if we'll look at the situation for what it might really be, but then if we'll receive instructions, he's going to do something this morning that's going to change us. It's going to transform us. It's going to position us to do what he asked us to do over these next several verses. As we said for the ladies, the ladies will not be able to submit to their husbands without the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which is what he says earlier in the book. He says, hey, you have to, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, we've so abused that verse for so long, but it's, let's be filled up. If you are, then you're going to be able to do what I'm about to tell you. Now, guys, it's the same thing for us this morning. He's going to help us this morning to do what he's about to ask us to do. We won't do it on our own strength. And so let's uh, read through this, and then we're going to pray over the word, and then we're going to just peruse through a few thoughts about it uh, and uh, trust that God's going to do something this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 33. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." 
This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of us, each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. So, Father, this morning, thank you for the power of just your word alone. And I pray, Father, that you just direct me in a way to be able to communicate about your amazing, uh, infallible word this morning. It would not interrupt it, but it would send it to each one of our hearts, God, that we might, we might look upon ourselves and recognize the areas that have need of repair. And Lord, that we would receive instructions from you this morning. We would not resist your word, but we would receive your word in our heart and in our minds, that it might transform us, and it might transform the very relationship that you deemed worthy to call uh, a picture of Christ in the church, and that we would live up to that, and we would come up to that standard, God, because your standard is the great standard that will be forever and ever. So help us this morning with understanding, God. Help us with insight into your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. As I, as I read that, I think, well, you know, that doesn't need a lot of explanation, right? I mean, it really doesn't. It's, uh, it's, it's actually pretty simple. But I have to be willing to stop and acknowledge how has Christ really loved you or loved his church? How has he done that? Has he done that in a, in a gentle way? Has he done that in a kind way? Has he done that in, in a way that uh, causes you to want to follow him? Or has he been a harsh, hard taskmaster? Uh, he says, husbands, 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 love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. See, the challenge we have today is when we attempt to do God's word, we'll often fail at it initially. It'll often be a little harder than what we thought. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's not until we get into it, in particular in a marriage relationship, it's not until we get into it that all of a sudden we think, whoa, what happened? to these vows? What happened, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, to my marriage? What happened to this relationship? You know, I, I can remember Patricia and I do a lot of premarital counseling, you know, and, and, and I, I, it's so often that they, we, we ask them of what they've communicated about, what they've talked about. Oh, we've talked about everything. Oh man, yes, we have it all solved. We, oh yes, we've talked about it all. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, don't tell me that one. If you're married, you didn't talk about it all, did you? <laughs> you know, it, you have these optimistic glasses on going into this thing, and so you think it's going to be a white picket fence and a beautiful house, and the yard's going to mow itself and everything else, and it's going to clean itself and all that, and all of a sudden you realize, wow, that's just not there. It doesn't take long before you realize that, uh, and, and, and it's, it's, it, we have to, as we look into the Word, okay, husbands, just love your wives. And probably if I asked most of us, we would quickly say yes, but somehow that love in the course of the relationship isn't working. It's not working for you. And we hate to admit that. 
but it's just not working. And, and, and this is where uh, Paul's coming to say, no, this is, this is important, guys, that you get this. And in verse 26, it says, what? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. As I read that, I thought, well, Lord, how, do we, how does that apply to marriage? You know, I'm, I'm not going to sanctify my wife. You know, that's your job and, and all of that. But I feel like he just dropped this quick word on me. It says he does it by the washing of the water of what? The word. In other words, his words. Because there's a couple of words. There's two words for uh, the, the, the word... Uh, word in scripture. One of them has to do with logos, which is just the written word. The other one is rhema, which is the spoken word or the revealed word. Okay. And so what he's saying to us in our life and in our relationship is that our words are important in in this marriage relationship. What I say is important, and it's going to make a difference. I'm either going to lift up or tear down my spouse. And so it's very important. And I thought, well, in the spiritual side of it, with you and with God, you know what's important is that you're knowing and hearing the rhema word too. Because if all you do is read this and say, okay, check, I read that, then you're missing something. But it's when this word begins to speak to you, begins to reveal itself to you who the living God is, that's when it starts changing us. And I would just say probably, you know, quickly, men, our words are important. And, 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 and our relationship with our wife is either built up or torn down with the words that we speak. And the women can say, I just need some support, ladies. Back me up now and at the end of this service. <laughs> just form a little circle. <laughs> Verse 27. Verse 27. What, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And when I looked through that a little bit, I thought, you know, what he's saying here is men take the responsibility for her. Take responsibility for her. And when when I say that, I'm reminded of the garden. Remember what happened when they all kind of blew it in the garden? What was the first thing they did? Blame shift. It was that wife you gave me. Can you just imagine if that wouldn't have happened, if they would have just both humbled themselves at this point, took full responsibility, what could have changed? But it wasn't, was it? The, The man blamed the wife, and the wife blamed who? The devil. It was that devil. It wasn't my fault. Of course not. I'm too nice. Would never do something that wrong. And so he's, he's, he's really saying here that you might, pre- you, you might present her to yourself or to himself in this case. So he's doing all of this for his church right now. Do you realize that he did everything for you to be his bride? He did it all. He didn't even require anything of you. And even when you blow him off and even when you go against what he says, he still did it for you. Why? So he could present to himself this beautiful bride. And I just, I just feel like that just speaks to us guys about learning how to just take responsibility 
for our relationship. It's just so easy because uh, honestly, I, maybe, I think maybe, I don't know, honestly, I'm just working on this myself, okay? I'm just trying to get you in the word. <clears throat> but honestly, women are better at relationships than men. How many would agree with that? And they seem to, that's a greater focus for them and they're better at it and, and so forth, <clears throat> okay? And, and, and so I have to, but I still have to take responsibility even though I may not be as good at it. You know, maybe my communication is ugh, you know, yeah, okay. Okay, so that's not building a relationship. I'm not good at it, but guess what? I can step in and take responsibility for it and learn from my wife how do I have a good communication and relationship, Right? And, and, and it's, easy. It's, it's easier than we think. We've just made it hard or our pride gets in the way. Uh, but actually, I heard this said a long time ago, our best marriage counselor is our spouse. Verse 28. So the husbands, what? Ought to love their wives as their own bodies. So he's not giving up on this thing, guys. He's pushing it deeper now. He's saying, I want you to love your wife as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. There's four different types of love in Scripture. Uh, uh, one of them is, is the sensual love, and the, other, uh, the, the, the second one is friendship love, uh, and the, the, the third one is family love. But the word that he uses here about us loving our wife is actually the word agape, uh, it means sacrificial love. So he's saying, hey, I know it's going to be a sacrifice, but that's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to sacrifice for your wife. I want you to sacrifice in this relationship. And, and, and again, he's saying, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Husband, love your wives as you love your own body. Husband, love your wives as you love yourself. Boy, that's a big demand, isn't it? But honestly, if we, if we just slow down a moment and ask ourselves if we're really doing that, because selfishness is such a big issue in all of our lives, selfishness, what, what do I get out of it, or how's it going to impact me? Selfishness is so big, we have to work toward these things. This is why in the middle of a very important book, one of the most important books in the New Testament, he's bringing up this topic. He's talking about going deep, deep deep with the Lord, and he comes out now to say, okay, this is how it's going to happen, and this is how I'm going to help you do it, and it's going to happen through uh, your relationship with your wife. In verse 29, he goes on to say, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Wow, when you step back and think about how gracious the Lord has been to you, how patient that he's been with you, <laughs> how kind he's really been with you, how much he has invested in you, what price he's paid for you. When you stop and really think about that, all of a sudden you step back and you think, wow, God, I forget that sometimes. I forget that. I forget how much you've done for me. And this is what he's saying to us, guys. He's saying, hey, I want you to nourish and cherish your wife. Just as I'm doing it. Here's, here's the, what the word cherish means, okay, guys? I'm sure you already all know this, okay? It means to cherish with tender love. Guys, will you say tender? 
All you guys, we all guys say tender. Okay, tender love. It goes to foster with tender care. In other words, he's saying, I want you to nourish and to cherish her. Now that I find anyway is a challenge. Guys don't like to go there all the time. Guys don't like to slow down to put that into effect. Even when we see it coming, even when we know the need's there. Even when we're in the middle of a good conversation, we don't want to go there. We just want, you know, we want to just, you know, get it done. Here's the facts. Here's the answers. Even in communication, even often you may have experienced your wife wants to talk to you and she's talking to you and telling you all these things. And then all of a sudden, what do you do? You're thinking about an answer, Right? And, and you, boom, you give her an answer. And doesn't that just solve the problem? Doesn't she just fall into your arms and say, I love you so much? Oh, why didn't I think of that? No, she gets more upset with you. Why? Because she wasn't after an answer. She was after communication and relationship. Communication is for the purpose of understanding each other. It's not, it's not for solving issues. It's not for solving life problems. Guys, will you be honest? How many have gotten in trouble for that, for just having an answer too quick? Anybody here? Thank you, guys. Come on. Ken, raise your hand. Come on. We all have. I know. None of you guys can fool me. We, we, that's just what, that's our nature. We just, we're, we're actually kind of made that way. But see, we are also made to have self-control. And our wives help us realize how much we don't have that. And, and, and so he's saying, I want you to do this tenderly and with care. I want you to step into this in a new way. Listen to this verse here. Uh, it's another term in, in, for cherish. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, but we uh, were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Guys, can you go there? Wives, can your guy go there? No, don't answer that question. Okay, you're sitting next to your spouse. Don't do that. Oh, this is really a hard one. But we should have this memorized, guys. I wish I would have this one memorized. Colossians 3.19. Husband, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. See law, that one. How are we tender and warm and kind-hearted? This is how we're to love and cherish our wives. And it's, it's interesting. Well, 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, here we go again. Likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Now, guys, I know we joke about that a lot. How do we understand them? I get that. But the reality is, is that we can understand them. We just have to approach it differently. We have to think differently. We have to get rid of some worldly mindsets about that. We actually got to get rid of the jokes about that because it settles into our minds and then it affects the way we approach them and how we relate to them because we automatically have in the back of our little brains, we're never going to understand them. Because they just think different, right? Guess who made them to think differently? Just anybody, any guesses? God really did, didn't he? And he just made us different. 
So it was his creative idea to help us all along on this matter, is to help us to understand that we are different. We are different, but it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. See, what the enemy wants to do is, is build up things in your mind against your wife or your spouse that causes us to not want to cherish them, not want to be warm-hearted and kind and tender and all these words that we don't use out on the street. <clears throat> But he's calling us to a deeper level because I believe we're nearing the end times and he's getting his church ready for what he's about to engage in with us, which will require us to be in relationship with him, in good relationship with him. And I can't be in good relationship with him without being in good relationship with my wife. John tells us that later on. He says, man, how do you think you can do that? What is he doing? Is he trying to make life rough on us? <laughs> no. He's trying to help us to shift our thinking and literally be transformed away from the way that we've been. So what? We can not only have a delightful relationship here on earth, which is great, but we also will enhance our relationship with our Heavenly Father as Christ in the church, Christ in the church, Christ in the church. Husband and wife, husband and wife. And, and, and when I begin to see this a little bit bigger than just husband and wife, all of a sudden I begin to take this a little bit more serious. And I allow him to take some of these verses here uh, to, 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 to change me. But the enemy wants to build something up inside of us against our wives so, uh, so that we will have this wedge between us, this wall between us, whatever you want to call it. And God's saying, no, uh, I want you to stay on the same team. I want you to stay on the same team. Now, I forgot to, to bring him out here, but... Did I bring those scissors out here? Okay. You guys all know this, okay? Most of you guys, single guys, that's okay if you don't. <clears throat> God wants a husband and wife to be like a pair of scissors. We have these scissors in our kitchen that actually, uh, when you move them like this, you can take them apart. Do you know what I'm talking about? They come apart. They use them for cutting heavier duty things. Well, it's always frustrating when they come apart. And when they come apart, they're basically useless. Until what? You put them back together and all of a sudden now you can use them effectively. Why? Because both blades are working together. That's what he wants to do with us as husbands and wives. He doesn't want us to be apart in the same house, but he wants us to be together so that we can be effective. The enemy's tactic is to divide and conquer. The Lord's tactic is to unite and conquer. That's what he wants to do. But he has to have a relationship that allows that. It allows that. <clears throat> There's a lot of, again, a lot of uh, different lessons regarding marriage that we can look at, uh, even between Jesus and the church. How does he treat the church? How does he treat you? How's your relationship with him? Uh, and so I, let me just... Uh, uh, start to wrap it up here a little bit with this verse in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4 and 5. And I think the biggest takeaway that I, I'm getting out of all of these five verses is how to love my wife in a more tender and gentle way. How can I do that? Because if I do, it's going to 
nurture her. It's going to build her up. It's going to help her to be who she uh, really is. But Revelation chapter 2 and, and, and verse 4, it, it says this, and, and I pulled this out because it's related to, to love. Uh, he's talking to one of the seven churches here, and you'll be familiar with this story. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. I think a lot of times it's easy to do that. It's easy for us to get away from the first love. We learn how to live with each other and, and let that peace be, remain missing and, and, and to be okay with it. In other words, I, I, can, I can survive like this. I can do okay with this. I can, but I, I'm just telling you, you can't. It's a a part of that whole deceptive weave of the enemy to think that we can live together without this intimacy. And, 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 And also he's saying to the church, Christ church, husband, wife, he's saying here, now I have this against you that you have lost your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, Repent and do your first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And I'm thinking, wow, man, that's kind of heavy. He's going to take away revelation from me. He's going to remove the lampstand, the light that I need to live every day. And, 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 and he's going to remove that. And I thought, well, the, he's speaking to the church here. He's writing to his bride right now in the book of Revelation. And there's seven letters to the churches. And this particular church happened to be in a position where it says, you're doing all these good things. <clears throat> you're being very, you know, very busy doing good things for your wife or for, you know, whatever. You're doing all these good things. So you're still working hard. You can justify yourself about how good you are and how well you're doing, but the reality is is that you have lost your first love and you're willing to let that stay lost. And he's, he's, he's trying to reel us back in. And so what he's saying is, you know, every relationship goes through ups and downs. Can I get an amen? Every relationship does. They all do. <laughs> they all do. And And... And yet he's saying, hey, I want you to remember something here. I want you to remember that first love. Let's go back and take a peek at that again. Remember when everything was so well. Everything was so good. And and, and there was a lot more passion flowing. But then as life began to proceed, little things came up. Little disagreements came up. You found out what you didn't really talk about in all this time before you got married. You find out all these, you find out the differences that somehow you just don't see beforehand. Maybe God even hides those from you. And he said, I want you to remember that. And then he's saying, it's time now if that's where you're at. And again, I, you know, we know that he's going to wrap up the, the, the last verse in this particular section. He comes back and he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then <clears throat> it's a great mystery Excuse me. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So he really, he's, these things can all apply to all of us. So he's saying, remember, and then he's saying to the church, repent. That means turn around. Just begin to go back in the direction that you were going in before you lost your first love. Now, that's a hard thing to do. It's not all that easy, is it, guys? Just to, you don't have to answer that. Uh, <laughs> might get you in more trouble. Uh, but it's not all that easy because you have these little things, these little foxes that have been spoiling your vine, spoiling your relationship, all these little things. And, and so it's hard now to turn around because if you turn around, you're going to have to humble yourself. And your mind keeps telling you how many things that she does wrong and all her flaws and faults and so forth. And so you stop and think, well, I got to get that taken care of first. No. He's saying, I want you to repent. I want you to turn around. I want you to turn. I want you to turn around, guys. I want you to turn around. I want you to go back to where you were. And then he goes on to say, and redo the first works. Do the things that you did when your passion was there. How often do we really miss that and we walk away from those little things? And, well, you know, it almost feels like, well, I'll just be faking it. I'll be hypocritical. But can I just tell you, you weren't faking it when you did it before you married her. So it's now it's time to turn around and go back. I mean, isn't that clear? I mean, you know, church, it's the church. You lost your first love. This is what you do. I want to make it easy for you. It's not as hard as you think. And if you actually start doing it, you'll see the fruit of that coming to you. We need to do those first work, works to get our passion back in the relationship. We do the extra things. We go the extra mile. J. Allison Peterson said this here. He says, I don't know whether or not your marriage was made in heaven, but I do know that all the maintenance work is done here on earth. <laughs> And that is so true. So he's, we, we have so much here that he's trying to pull into us guys today to say, just examine your love for your wife. Is that spark? Is that fire, passion? Is it still there? Or have a lot of small things, life, children, family, house, everything else, has that gotten in the way and caused stuff to come between you that has then caused you to lose your first love. Verse 30, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. I found that interesting. I always thought it was harder for the woman to leave the family. But it really, he's saying it to us guys. We got to do something. But what we got to do is we got to cleave to our wives. We have to cleave to them, and that's like a super glue, is what he's saying. Don't let that, don't let that start coming apart, but bring it back together. And uh, I just put a couple things down here just to kind of. This is not a, certainly not a marriage conference. We're working on one for November. But this is not uh, this is not what it is. So there's no way to go through all of it. But I was hoping through this book of Ephesians portion that uh, we would both maybe glean some natural stuff, but also some spiritual stuff out of it. 
And I just thought, how did Christ love the church? He loved it sacrificially. How many would agree with that? Remember a little agapio, agape, sacrifice love. So it does take, it does take work. It's hard. It's painful. What else did he do? He did it, and I couldn't think of the right word for this, so forgive me, uh, desiringly. He did it desiringly. He, 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 John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He didn't do it just out of rote. He didn't do it just to save face for you, but he loves you. He loves you, and he also did it for the Father, to glorify the Father. And then he, another thing, it would be, to do it openly, to do it openly. In other words, no more macho man. I can't be a macho man about this thing, right? Because I got to be tender. And those two somehow don't fit in the same box. I got to come back about this differently. I got to be willing to lay my life down, as it said. And then the last thing I wrote down there is I have to do this intentionally. Jesus had a plan that he followed. He had a plan. It was what well, he said. I'm put some of this stuff is just in covenant with you. I'm doing this for you. It was written out. It was a plan, and he knew that plan would work. And I'm just telling you, as we look into his word, we can see his plan, and now we put it to work, and it will work. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. Let's pray.